Hello, Larry. How are you going? Hi, Ryan. How are you going, Larry? The Lawrence G. Dottilio. How are you doing, man? Fine. You just doing fine? Not feeling, uh, not feeling, uh, possessed by an alien in your brain? No, neither am I feeling yum yum. Oh, we'll change that. People who are listening, this is uh, Ryan here, and that's the writer, Larry Dottilio, of this episode of Babylon 5. As everybody knows who's ever listened to this podcast before, every now and then we get Larry on. Usually it's my wife, Rachel, and I, but Rachel... She's in the corner. She had to step out of the room. We may invite her on at points to give some points of view of her own, but if you want to hear her thoughts on Knives, she was a guest spot on another Babylon 5 podcast, the last best Babylon 5 podcast in which she talked about knives but this one we went hey it's, we've got to get, get tko himself larry didilio here we're just joshing around having thanks a bit of fun. for having me yes we're just joshing around having a bit of fun people might say it's a bit um inappropriate to joke about having a, a dead person on your show but that's we're not joking around we had a this is the day of the dead as we record this uh, the comet is in alignment correctly, and we got uh, you here, Larry. Great to have you on. Uh, people, we are called Yum Yum Podcast because of the iconic and amazing and sensual line Yum Yum from Star Trek Discovery. We started out as a Star Trek Discovery rewatch podcast, and we ran out of Discovery, and it ran out of stuff to say, and we are doing Babylon 5. If you have not seen the series before, we recommend that you do, because we are spoiling it. We're getting into the minutia, such as, this is one of the last times that Larry works on Babylon 5, writing a main episode script. You will continue on for the rest of the season, Larry, being a script supervisor, but this is the last Larry episode that we get after here things go in different directions for you and jms so if people see that's a spoiler people might have been going oh ryan i really thought in season three we we're going to get more larry episodes wrong wrong incorrect incorrect uh so uh rachel uh rachel's not here but larry we aren't alone rachel is in the corner she's she's outside she's banging at the door being like let me in i want to have a go too but we actually do have a guest with us for this one yes we asked somebody to come on we actually gave a couple of options to this person and they said no <laughs> to a few of them and then they said i'll settle for this one who have we got on the line here we have nick we have who sorry we have nick Nick, brother of Pat? Yes. Previous guest? Oh my lord, that's your title, Nick. Nick, hello, how are you doing? Hey guys, thanks for having me back. So my title is previous guest or brother of Pat. I can try to make sure I understood. Yep. What is my official title? Both. Your official title <laughs> is previous guest or brother of Pat. That's your role. That's your role. And, I, I, and I can move with factual accuracy. Mm -hmm. Yes. Factual accuracy here. So, uh, Nick, it's a pleasure to have you back on. For people who don't know, you've been on this podcast before. You grew up with Babylon 5. You're a fan of the show. Isn't that correct? Very much so, yeah. So, if, I, if there's a Babylon 5 podcast, I'm happy to, to tune in and hear some new interesting takes, and hopefully I can participate now and then. But I don't take the uh, the amazing episodes, the, uh, oh, the the... The, the highlight episodes of the season, I, I take some of the forgotten 
slightly dirty gems. Yeah, I mean last <laughs> time you're on for Babylon. I mean last time you're on for Babylon Squared, so I don't think you can really claim that title. You that chose was, one of the most boring. That was a seminal episodes. one, yeah. That was, that was a yeah. But this time you were like knives. Well, when I say you were, I said, here's some episodes. Which one do you want? And you said, I don't want to do Hunter Prey. It's boring. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do knives. No one wants to do Hunter Prey. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, man. We, got, we got a lot of pushback on uh not fans of Hunter Prey episode, uh, discussion. People were like, how dare you? Hunter Prey is essential viewing for me. Fuck you. And I'm sorry, people. It's boring. I don't think it's very good. But uh, we got you here for Knives, written by Larry here. But we thought, hey, Nick, you're here. Let's read the DVD description for what uh, Knives is about. So you have it in front of you. Tell us all, regale us all on what we've watched. Sure. The, uh, the DVD description as written by JMS is, he sees strange visions, dreams, strange dreams. Gradually, Sheridan understands he's become host to an alien life form. Meanwhile, a friend, Carmen Argentino, sorry, <laughs> wishing to die, challenges Malaria to an obligatory Centauri deathmatch. And, uh, you know, I, Part of what I wanted to uh, take advantage of this episode as potentially being maybe the, the last episode that Larry's on is that uh, because I, I scoured the internet for Larry facts and I, uh, I found a, a potentially alternate DVD summary that is apparently attributed to Larry, but I will <laughs> hope if I can read it, Larry can tell me if it's true or not. So uh, it's a little bit different. It's a, maybe slightly confusing, but uh, I'll, I'll read it out here. Uh, this summary reads, uh, Captain Sisko has long negotiations <laughs> and is looking to wind things down with batting practice in Quark's hollow suite. <laughs> Security Chief Odo comes along and mentions strange energy readings in one of the old processing areas sealed off during the Cardassian's time on the station. This piques the captain's interest, and he soon finds himself possessed by an alien energy being, giving him visions with a desire to return to the Gamma Quadrant. <laughs> Meanwhile, Worf's brother Kern arrives on the station, Due to landing on the wrong side against the Chancellor's new war, his family has been disgraced. His only way out is to have Worf kill him, restoring his honor. I hate that so, episode too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Uh, so, uh, Larry, I, I'm not sure if you can confirm or deny if this was written by you as a potentially uh, um, failed suggestion for a, a DS, DS9 episode, which I guess eventually became into some stories. <laughs> I, I refuse to comment. That's uh, Sons of Moog, right? That's the yeah, one. Sons of Moog. I hate that episode, but, uh, but that's another podcast <laughs> for another time. I hate what they do in, with Kern. I think it's dumb, and I dislike it greatly, and I think they waste a good Tony Todd performance. But don't they all? Don't they all waste a Tony Todd? <laughs> uh, no, well, because there's that one episode of DS9 yeah, where that, he's playing adults. Uh, yeah, in the same season. So we've got Tony twice. One of oh, them's like the one of the greatest season. episodes of the entire series, and one of them's fucking that one but hey whatever the ds9 fans are going to blow up when they hear about this they already are off put by babylon 5's existence this is insane insanity is part of the times you must learn to embrace the madness let it fire you knives is an episode that i um think is bad hey i know you're shocked larry i'm sorry to say it but i think it's a bad episode i've not hated it but what makes me frustrated is there's a B plot that should be the A plot, and that's the main thrust of my complaint. And then the A plot is 
at best, a single-page short story that you would read in a magazine, and it's uh, stretched out to a good portion of the the running time of this episode of Babylon 5. So I've not been a big fan of Knives. I love all the Centauri stuff. I love Londo. I love seeing Reefa, of course. I love Veer. I love seeing their culture being examined, seeing the ramifications of Londo's actions culminating with him having to kill his own friend. I I love all of that stuff, but that is treated as secondary in this episode, which is weird because the episode's named after it as well. It is one of the more more befuddling uh, emphasis on storylines in a B5 episode I can think of in any of its run. I just always look at this going... Why did you structure it like this? I I can't get around it. I can't get past that. What about you, Nick? What's been your kind of uh, feelings towards Knives? Uh, I think it's just a, a medium episode. Uh, I'll save my yum score for, for later. But, um, you know, the episode itself, I don't think it's as, I don't think it's bad per se, but it's just, you know, it's weaker. Um uh, on my rewatches, I'll I'll watch it. You know, um, it's not one that I've ever really felt like skipping. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just not one of the, the greater episodes. I think that's kind of how I would describe. No offense, Larry. How I would describe Larry's episodes in general. It's just like you know, they're 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 weaker episodes. Sorry, uh, <laughs> maybe we should ask. Maybe, I don't know if we really? should just ask Larry to to, to step out. So, you know, Larry, gonna... Larry, could you step up actually and kick Nick's ass? Because I think Deathwalk <laughs> is a pretty great episode that you wrote. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. And TKO is a masterclass, of course. Uh, one of the best episodes is TKO, of course. We all know this. The possession thing is is kind of interesting, and is I, I think. <laughs> well, it's it's yeah, it's. It's nothing special, right? Yes. Stop and... trying to talk him down from vague, almost compliments. <laughs> Sorry. Well, because I, I did appreciate one part was that the, they had a, 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 from a budget point of view, they could reuse um, the CGI model for um, the ship, mm-hmm. the Icarus. I was the like, well named. Well, we, we just we just talked about that in the, the previous episode. So it is know, true. They're like, it's it's already they already had it open. Um, so that maybe that saved. Sometime. I think I call, call but, it a bad episode because if I'm thinking really hard about plot lines, I think the possession that Sheridan goes through is the stupidest, most boring, dumb plot that Sheridan ever goes through in this stupider entire... Stupider than sh- him being abducted by yes, aliens. Yes, yes, because it's even dumber than that script was in terms of why he has this happen to him. I I don't know. To me, this just always 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 rubbed me up the wrong way with the Sheridan thing because it is just it's a neat little sci-fi idea, but it's not juicy enough to expand out to the script. And you can tell because they don't really have much to do. There's nowhere to launch off of. Now, Larry, you have obviously a major bias towards this. This is your last. Uh, script in the show, at least last in terms of air date. I don't know, last in terms of production. But obviously, you're going to say this is a great and wonderful script. We know this. But if you could have an unbiased opinion for a moment, say, put yourself in Rachel's shoes, say. <laughs> What's been your relationship and uh, history with this one? Well, luckily enough, I was talking with Rachel about this, like, you know, 
You leave me in the corner all of the fucking time. Yeah, you, pick, you picked up a vocal patterns over this course of time real well. Yeah. Well, she bothers to talk to me, unlike you. Mm-hmm. You tell me to face the corner. I feed you. <laughs> I throw you some, I give you some food. I throw some scraps your way. Yeah, it goes through me because I'm a fucking ghost. Oh, so we believe in ghosts now. What are we in some sort of triangle? <laughs> we are. Can we tri- call it? Can we call the soul hunter? We got a ghost problem. <laughs> we got a ghost problem. Can we get Zach Baggins in the studio right now? We got a bad case of ghosts. You are like the sunshine of my eyes, because when I look at you, I'm surprised. Your smile glows like snow. That's so stupid, Zach. It's so stupid. Uh, Rachel's never been a huge fan of this episode, but she appreciates my characterization of Londo and mm. getting the Centauri opera. Oh, there you go. So... Overall, say, you know, from now on, you speak as if you're Rachel. Uh, Overall, not a fan of the episode, but you do love the character work put through for Londo, which I think is the overall sentiment here, where Mm -hmm. that's the stuff that we're all here for. Um, That's where it's confusing to me of, okay, like, let's just... Like, look at this episode of Knives. It's called Knives. It's in reference to Londo and his uh, dueling partner and how they're these brothers of knives and whatever it is. And Londo has to face repercussions of the choices he's made and Reefer has gained power and he's doing shady shit. And I just... I, I, I don't know why that is secondary. Like, why is this so at the bottom of priorities for the episode when it's even named after it? Londo is an electric character that we all love and can carry stories of his own. I mean, Larry wrote Born to the Purple, which is a Londo episode. That's all about Londo. So why is this the B-plot, Nick? What do you think? Like, what's what's happening here? Because Babylon 5's guilty of this sometimes, of putting what is the more interesting plot on the back burner and giving us what is a trite narrative that we've seen a million times, like Garibaldi fights a monster in Grey 17, like that kind of thing. Um, you know, uh, reading up on the um, uh, a lot of the, some of the interviews that I found with Larry and JMS both speaking uh, in, in interviews, uh, one of the things I did kind of wonder was uh, the decision to for JMS to kind of only write the rest of the show was you know I think the one ex- exception in uh, season five um, was you know like you can see like it seems like uh, again going to speak what I could tell from the interviews with Larry was that a lot of times he's introducing different story ideas. And, uh, you know, before he had like the Bureau 13, which then they had to take, kind of take away because it conflicted with the name of a, of a an established board game uh, series. But uh, what I found was that even Larry talked about wanting, in his mind, the, the knights that interrogated uh, Sinclair were part of the, the same organization and even thought of them like he was, thinking of his own uh, lore of being like, oh, there's there's uh, the Psycore on one side and and, and, uh, and Clark on the other side, but like a third player, which has some some rogue telepaths and they're not necessarily good guys, but against the other guys, like he's almost trying to inject his own 
um, other stories. This one didn't seem like that so much, so I, I guess he, <laughs> he kind of dialed it back. Um, but yeah, as far as, sorry, to come back to your original question, was, you know, why is the title of the show, of this episode, Knives, less uh, featured? I didn't, I mean, it is, maybe it's, it is less, but it's, I don't feel like it's underrepresented. Like, I, I did like seeing a lot more of this entire culture. We certainly saw, I think, uh, Urza Jado, you know, he... Their nicknames and they're talking about that stuff like that's interesting. Nice, nice character and, and race uh, descriptions about the Centauri. I think he's got the tallest hair, even even taller than, than Londo. Maybe the only one I could think of maybe is higher is Londo in the pilot. Um, but you know he he's not one of the ones with the, the short uh, hairstyle like the Emperor, right? Because he's maybe that's why he's on the opposite side, right? The the Emperor. Uh, likes the short uh, uh, hairstyle and he's like no it has to be long and they said okay Rifa take care of him but yeah but uh, Rifa's hairstyle is tall Rifa's hairstyle is tall but maybe he he didn't protest it either you know? yeah maybe yeah, true. maybe this guy couldn't couldn't bite his tongue and he said no I, I have to say something yeah, it's, uh, it's not as if the Londo stuff is necessarily underrepresented but it is there is this emphasis placed on it being the b story the secondary story that we are following along with the captain sheridan has to figure out a mystery and we like we open with sheridan we follow sheridan a lot there's like a whole bunch of shit about it and yet and then we'll cut back to like what is like this fucking centauri tragedy story happening and it is just like weirdly in the like in the periphery at points and it's just very strange to me because yes yeah, it's, it's like when you take all those scenes of londo and you put them all together it's like that makes a script that's an episode you could do that but there's just like the the amount of uh stress they put on sheridan's stuff is is what really trips me up because that to me should be the one we see less of and get less focus because it is so simple and we say the alien possession thing is is of interest and we'll get to that but uh you know i want to i want to pass it over to the co-host here you know what do you think about this whole entire going on here in terms of emphasis on on, on stories and plots in B5 because this has been a recurring weakness outside of Larry's scripts, outside of even JMS scripts. Sometimes DC Fontana had issues. Peter David also has had issues with this. Like, what is going on here, do you think? Which co-host are you asking? The one I'm pointing to right now. He, he didn't point into the corner. I didn't point in the corner. So, <laughs> what do you think? Uh, and in, in case... He didn't, use a, he didn't use an invocation spell no excuse me i didn't use a hollow demon or many of that kind of and i don't know if it it came through on mic but you know spoiler and (laughs) not spoiler for clarity uh, ryan let rachel back in the room oh yeah yeah sorry oh rachel rachel crept in the room and pushed larry out of the chair (laughs) hey he gave up seat oh, that's, for me. That's your story. So what he do you was, think? It, like, he would fall through the chair. We established <laughs> this. So he was tired of squatting. Squatter's rights are gone. So what do you think? <laughs> What's going on? Uh, yeah, I find it weird. I think it's one of those times where they were like, we can't leave the human crew out completely mm. because 
if it was all the Londo plot, there would be no reason really to cut back to our human cast. Yeah. And they aren't confident enough to do that. Is that a thing that they ever get past in Babylon 5, getting confident enough where we don't have to have our human characters? Or is that just a given? Like, we always have to make sure to have the human characters because... That is the core frustration for me is I do wish that this could just be a Londo story and the humans can maybe pop in from time to time. Like, I don't need It's like they have to be involved in some way. Like, that final, like, you know, the kind of final shot. You need Garibaldi, like, TKO in the corner. Yeah. With a towel, you know, helping Londo out. Like, come on, Londo, you got this. And then, you know, Londo, give, Londo giving him the thumbs up, like, yeah, I'm going in. <laughs> but they aren't friends anymore. That's a real sad thing. It would be, you know, no one's Londo's friend except for Via, and so he's there. But, yeah, like... Uh, and he's but, just about to, about to kill his longest friend. Yeah. So yeah. The episode. <laughs> it feels like they're like, okay, well, the last shot of the credits is uh, these characters in C&C. We have to have them. At least one of them being mm-hmm. the focus of a plot in every episode. Yeah, we have to have them in Sheridan's quarters wearing nice sweaters on the couch talking about the yeah, plot. Franklin is Franklin is just gushing about the alien. Yeah, and his uh, sweater matches the like couch. If, if, if we found the alien, the do you think he would possess me next? Like, okay, what is your kink? <laughs> he loves possession. He loves aliens. That's his kink. Don't kink shame him. He loves aliens. He loves it. He loves it raw, and he loves them just freshly woken up from cryo and stroke their hair. That's a female human, but hey, he loves his certain type of... He's got things going on. He's got things. I don't sleep with my patients. We skipped over an important question. Who would have said yum yum in this episode? Mm -hmm. I have no fucking clue. Sheridan? Because he's just such a fucking idiot in this episode. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's Sheridan. He's just like, gee whiz, I sure am tired. Yum yum. Nah. I shot a Grylaw. He vomits up the alien and says, yum, yum. That would be great. Yeah. Well, my, my, my take on it, for the sake of uh, who's going to say yum, yum, who's got the most yum, yum energy, I'm going to retcon and say that the alien himself is pure yum, yum energy. Mm-hmm. And it would project images of, like, yummy oranges mm-hmm. and other yummy things to Sheridan. Because it, it's nonverbal, right? So it can, like, convey things that uh, elicit the emotion of yum. That's so, true. I'm going with the alien. As David Bowie said, love the alien. Is Sheridan, is this the dumbest he's ever been in the show? Rachel? Yeah. Yeah. So far. Like, like he's pretty smart when he gets abducted by aliens. You, I mean, you know, he's stupidly stubborn in the in his first episode. Trying yeah. to get the speech done, but yeah, he's a dork. Here, it's uh, did he just take dum dum pills? I don't know what's his problem here. Like, okay, his, one uh, his his amateur baseball career is <laughs> taking too many steroids. Okay, <laughs> okay, that's a pet peeve right there. Well, you know what we have? Oh, you know what we haven't seen? Air hearts. We haven't seen that in like fifteen episodes. It feels like they just don't fucking go in there. Because I was going to complain. The thing I really hate about B five is sometimes we'd be like really meticulous with like what's on the station. Then sometimes like oh yeah we have, we have fucking air hearts and a baseball diamond in the center of the fucking station. And I can't get past I, that they have a baseball diamond. I, I just can't I, get past I'm, that. I'm gonna land on the other side of it, and because I always feel like 
the square footage of the inside of the of a uh, what's the name of the cylinder style? It's a, the station. O'Neill cylinder, O'Neill cylinder. Like the, the amount of square footage on there is pretty high, and I know it, talk, it talks about like a quarter million aliens, and then obviously there's a certain amount of plants and food crops that are hydroponics that are sustained. But that's like I I kind of liked that angle of the view that showed the baseball field and that big expanse uh, escape, you know, the mm. the size of the the actual station itself. Because there's so many times where it's like, oh, the only real peak we get uh, of the garden is a few plants next to a window and behind that is a painting mm-hmm. of that's supposed to look like it never does but it's supposed to look like the inside of the uh, the garden uh and so i kind of like i kind of liked the oh we got to see it again you know yeah but it's uh, really zen garden I, I, I agree tiny. i agree yeah yeah like the garden itself never feels big uh this is probably because it's because it's full cg you know uh background background uh for the field i was like okay you know, it gives me a sense of like oh there is enough space Okay, we can't we can't legally have uh, coffee plants, but we can <laughs> have a baseball afford field. the footage for a baseball field, which apparently is not that busy. And, you know, there's not like this lineup of like other staff. No. Is this the exact? Is this the executive baseball team? I, I, I don't know. I, I just it just grinds my gears. It's it's this station where it's like we can't fit the homeless They're in the bottom levels, but we got enough room for a baseball field. I just no. It's more about. The cost, uh-huh. like I just, I'm sorry. I like just... that's what, like the the yeah, they can't afford it. It's just one of those it, things. It's that... not. It's not about like the the square footage, and plus there's like underdeveloped areas of Babylon Five, so they have room for growth. So maybe it's one of those things of like, yeah, we can use this as a baseball field now. They can't but even afford can... a gift, though. This is the thing. They don't have a gift shop, but they have a fucking baseball field. Oh, they never have a news station on the on, on Babylon 5, which is fucking insane, but they can have a fucking baseball field. Okay, like, That like, I agree with like, it's, it's one of those things, but they needed to introduce it earlier. If it was, here's the station, and here's like, look, we have sporting places, and, it and should this, come and this, back. this, and it should actually come back. That's another thing, too. It's like, is this a Larry thing, or what? Like... I just I do wonder if you if you look in the, the the finale for season two with the the explosion on the the, the train there uh, when he's flying down I I gotta wonder especially on like the HD version um, I'm not sure if it really enhanced the CGI for that but like can you see the baseball diamond does it actually show up in the background as he's flying that would be a that, dream that would that's the only, that would be kind of nice I thought you were gonna say in the finale it. of the show when they're blowing up Babylon Five they show you all like the interiors real love and then they show you the fucking baseball field it's still there. <laughs> I guess the baseball diamond, I can't, I don't know, it's so silly, but that's even, see, we're getting off the point of, is this just one of the most contrived reasons for a plot to happen in B5 since TKO, where it's Garibaldi gets involved in this plot because it's his friend that we've never seen and we never will see again. In this, it's, we've got a triangle, which we never hear about or see about again. And Sheridan is just like, hey, I'm the main character. I want to go there so that I could get, possessed by an alien like it's one of those where i am a ghost hunter yeah it's one of those scripts where things need to happen 
and it will cost at the uh, it will cost the characters intelligence so that we can get there. There are so many points where characters are just ignoring obvious things and like going against uh, logic just so that we can we can come here to these points. And we talked about that with your brother Pat on a podcast, Nick, where. It's like, oh, I need to go out into space so I can get captured by aliens. And they joke about it. It's just like, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. It's like, yeah, but I want to get uh, you know, space under my feet and a snake in my boot. And I want to, you know, and then it's all going to be okay. This doesn't even do that. Like, this doesn't even try jokingly to say how silly this is. It is sincerely Sheridan is like, I love the idea of just walking into this random area for no fucking apparent reason other than I like weird shit. And then I get possessed and then I just am like mildly worried about it and then the episode eventually wraps up the storyline i don't know i just i can't like i like sheridan as a character i do like him i think he's very smart i think he's very clever i think he's got great emotion emotionality and then i watch episodes like this and i'm like why am i following this guy just why am i here dude i just don't want to follow him are there other things in that spooky area or is it just this one thing because the impression i got was well that mark had picked it up flying by sector. Mm-hmm. It was happenstance. It was happenstance. And guess what? You can keep not, asking it wasn't because really we never ta- see the fucking triangle again and they never <laughs> mention it again. He, we, we like to praise that Babylon 5 is always, things come back. This don't come back because it's stupid. But that's only because, you know, poor Larry was uh, was let go. Larry had plans. Yeah, Larry, Larry had big plans for the triangle. It was going to be in season five. Byron was going to set up his base there. Thank you for acknowledging that. Thank you, thank you. I, I mean, we were okay. gonna we were gonna see the ghost of uh, of uh, of Morden come oh. through the triangle. Oh, that would have been perfect. That would have been perfect. <laughs> he's he's, he's haunting the station <laughs> and asking for coffee. And yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Ooh, I'm here. Spooky. Uh, yeah, we've talked on the podcast many times about Sheridan and how we can flip in and out of liking the character. Why is that um, not a bigger deal for us? Because when you say that, that says the character's inconsistent. Like, if we said this about Star Trek Discovery... Or if we said this about uh, a bad episode of Star Trek, that's like a proper negative thing. They are failing with the character where they're inconsistent, where some episodes I'm on board and some episodes I'm like, this is the dumbest character in the show. Why are they the lead? Why is this not a bigger issue for us, Rachel? Because it's not necessarily the overall character of Sheridan it's parts of his personality so it's not all the time that he's like this they'll just have an episode or two where they highlight this part that we don't enjoy Mm. so it's restrained and contained in specific episodes yeah and they're just simple too sometimes people just drop the ball sometimes hey that wasn't the script Hey, you know what? That one wasn't a good one. I didn't do the best job there. I'm sorry. It just, you know what? I didn't know that character well enough. That just can. Thanks happen. for sharing that, Larry. Thanks for sharing that, Larry. You spoke through me to say that. Uh, sometimes that's just the truth. Like JMS has talked about that. Like Gray Seventeen is missing. Infamously is a bad episode, and he's he just, he's he admits it. He's like that just didn't come out the way I wanted it to. And same with Infection, where those episodes have great things in there, but they're not 
great episodes, they're bad episodes because they fail, because they didn't communicate across the point in an efficient manner. And this is a, a, another one of that where this could be a plot, right? Like, I'm not against the alien possession thing. Like, this could be... It is be... a plot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't debate that. The, the uh, debate is whether it's good or not. Yeah, okay, if, fine, It fine, meets fine. the standards of being a plot. It does begin... Unlike Star Trek Discovery. Ooh. It does have a beginning and a middle and an end, so you're correct there. Look, the alien possession plot... It just doesn't do anything for me. There's no real escalation. There's no real consequences. It's just what way will Sheridan freak out now without any fallout? Oh, he shoots the wall. Nobody cares. Oh, what's that? He thinks the Icarus exploded in front of the entire CNC stuff. People raise their eyebrows, but there's no, there's nothing here. Like the aliens possessing his brain, but it never gets him to the point where he's uh, in physical danger in any real way. It's not as if he's almost going to bash his brains in. It is the lack of momentum and tension. It is the only thing driving it is what is going on? Like, what is this? And I think you figure it out relatively quickly that it's like, oh, it's something in him. That's like instant. You know that? Oh, there's a thing in him. There's some kind of creature or thing on my bob in him. And you're just waiting for the script to tell you what the reveal is. Hence, I always laugh when it reminds me of a sitcom the ending of this where at the sitcom where you have the family all sit together in the room and they despair, like they, they, they uh, reflect on what the moral of the lesson was for this week's episode of the sitcom. And the, you know, you have Fred McMurray with his pipe sitting there telling his three sons what went wrong. And it reminds me of that where Sheridan's in a nice sweater and they're all sitting there and he's just like, Whoa, so this crazy thing, this is what was, this is what was happening in the episode. He wanted to go home. And he couldn't communicate with me. And you just sit there going, oh, yeah, that's okay. It never rises above that. Oh, that's that. neat. Yeah, that's neat. It never rises above yeah, that. Yeah, it's just, it's just fine. It's not I, I, it's not a bad thing, but it's not original either. Uh, and it just it, it does get you from A to B with the least creative steps. That's I it. Just, the I, least I, creative I, steps possible. I guess possible. I would just say, yeah, like it's, I'm going between this and being captured – and forced to fight other aliens. Like, which one do I like less? Uh, and the only thing that I think the only thing that I would give for the other episode plot of him being captured there, uh, we had our little Twin Peaksy moment, which is going to hint at other things later. Uh, and the fact that uh, Talon is introduced. Yeah. So that's that payback. Any, any forms Those of camaraderie two. with somebody that you can basically Can't you can talk understand with, but they still figure it out. Yeah. yeah, and you you can follow it on a primal level here uh, with a possession, right? It's just not giving you what. Okay, so you're doing a stock standard captain is possessed by an alien, whether it's evil or not. There are certain things that you want to see from that or you would like to see even if it's tired and you've seen it a million times they're there for reasons and this doesn't even do that i would argue like i'm waiting for him to be possessed by an alien and to act like a different person and freak people out again we talked about it in your episode in the episode with your brother pat where there's the episode where picard gets captured by aliens and replaced with a dupe 
duplicate of himself, and that one acts differently to Picard just enough to freak people out. And in a possession plot, you kind of wish for the same thing to happen, where it's making the character act in certain ways where it escalates and can either be funny or scary or sad, and we, the audience, know what's going on, but the other characters don't, but... They kind of do that a little, but like I said, it's it, it always ends with a character raising their it, eyebrows, going, "Oh, that was weird," and then that's it. it never- I would say that this episode has uh, is a failure in terms of its emotional resonance. Uh, is it trying for any? I think it is. I think you're meant to be intrigued and afraid for Sheridan. And you are meant to be emotionally invested in Londo's experience of having to kill his friend. And that succeeds. That succeeds. Uh, you know, with a possession plot, Rachel, for you, well, I mean, you've seen these a million times. Even outside of sci-fi shows, there are certain things and tricks and, and minutia that you like to see that's missing here, wouldn't you agree? Yeah. And so what does it replace it with? Nothing. So what does it succeed at in doing what is a uh, a well-established story type? I think if we if it just did a little bit to make things um, some sort of life in peril moments, you know, if it took control and he almost got hurt as a result, uh, and or in or something um, something happens in the biggest way that like you go like. Is it malicious or is it not? You know, introduces that question because we didn't really get an idea of like, did it actually want to hurt him? No, it just wanted to communicate and get home. You know, like it, it never really tried to do anything uh, uh, drastic. Okay, you saw something and he pulled out a gun. It didn't make him pull out the gun. It just made him see something and he got scared. Right. Um, but if it's say, for example. Uh, at one point where it started to gain control and he accidentally almost shot somebody um, because it, it did that. Um, you know, something like that. Then you would, then at least you'd be more intrigued because you don't know if it's mm. a good or bad ghost. Yeah, and you could also, it's not just like, you should also fear for, like many episodes in B5, his position. He's acting irrationally, and it's making the other characters have to, like in that TNG episode, wonder if they have to overthrow their captain and remove him from his position. Yeah. And, and and they and they have but that his authority with Franklin. was being threatened in the last episode. But, yeah, so maybe they didn't. Threatened. Maybe they didn't want to double go, up. Yeah, then do something. Even if it's as simple as social faux pas. That's lacking too. Yeah. If you had, I know this sounds silly, and this is to go back to the sitcom plot, but if you had, I don't know, someone important, like if this was the episode that General Haig came on and he was acting weird, or to go the sitcom route, his in-laws came onto the station and he's acting wacky like this because he's possessed by an alien, you have something to go with there. But instead it is... He sees things on his own. That's the thing, too. Rarely does he see things in the same room as other people as yeah, much as you the, would like. Only the, only the Icarus vision, I guess, was around somebody else, right? Yeah, and it was only Ivanova that really took notice. Everyone else was in the background following his orders, not really noticing, and then afterwards was like, what was that about? Hmm. I wish there was more like, of what that. Sector? I wish there was more of that. If it was Garibaldi, stuff. we would have seen another Lisa vision. 
Oh, oh Lisa's yeah. here. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Lisa, where are you going? Mm. Oh. And Major Kemmer as a little girl saying drunk again, <laughs> Uncle Mike. <laughs> so she would have had two acting credits on her IMDb instead of one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take that, little girl. Drunk again, Uncle Mike. What we kind of always we want to praise Babylon 5 for doing was not forgetting some of the stuff, still pulling things back, even things that you don't expect. You know, uh, cut to life-draining machine, end of season four. You know, like, they, they, they do have a good track record for the most part of, of mentioning things. Uh, but the unfortunate part is that it's still a um, it's just fine episode, but not an, an important one. You know, like if you didn't have it mentions it, but it doesn't add anything significant to the overall arching lore uh, that you would need to know to see a future Babylon 4 related episode or to understand Adira later on her appearance. You only really need to see uh, Born mm-hmm. to the Purple. Yeah. So, yeah, it just mentions it, but it doesn't add anything to it. So that's kind of its. Yeah, it's nice to see it. You're like, oh yes, I do remember. Oh, that, that thing! Before. You're acknowledging yeah, you're, that it's a serial like it. thing. Mm. You know, I get that reference. Uh, <laughs> and clap, please um, clap. <laughs> please. <laughs> and I think it's it's highlighted strongly in this episode because the B plot, which we can shift into with Londo, is all about that. It is a story that exists because of the actions taken by the characters throughout the show. And Adira being referenced, although a minor throwaway line, it makes sense that it's referenced here, but everything else here happening in the Londo stuff is uh, essential because we are seeing the fallout that's happened from all the choices he's made up until now in the and series. And how he's going to double down on them. And how he's going to double down. Like, at the very end, he cements his fate for the rest of the show very much. I've got to go, like, the path is laid and I'm going to walk down it. And you go, no, Londo, no. And you could still argue that this is a skippable thing, but, like, in terms of this isolated episode, I think um, it works in terms of defending its merits because it's referencing and calling back and harkening back and following through on stuff that we built up because that is this story while the Sheridan stuff just saying Babylon 4 existed in this area and the alien was there and just saying like Pacmara I mean uh, that a uh, uh, Markab guy beat his brains in and it's like well it'll be important next episode because then we see the, pa- uh, the Markab get fucked up and oh Franklin mentions the doctor friend that'll be important next episode like that stuff is very minimal and it doesn't really propel much along while the londo stuff it does we are seeing a culmination of things and a warning of things to come in the future for londo and the centauri that the vacuum of power has been opened and now everybody is rushing towards it and some are being crushed underfoot like with his friend who is now having to uh face all of these uh unintended Un, un, unintended punishments and results because of yeah. his good dear friend Londo. Londo's res- like this is Londo's fault, and that only and that hits hard because we've watched Londo choose to do these things in the hopes of making things better for himself and his people, and now we're seeing actually you've made it fucking worse, even yeah. for someone close to you. And I really appreciate the contrast between the way that they reflect on their experiences being involved in the war. Yeah. Or like numerous wars. With conflicts. 
Centauri were part of and how Uzo's just like, I'm haunted. I don't want that. Yeah, I actually know what it's like. Like the difference between like a return soldier being like, oh, that was glorious or oh, never again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting uh, uh, dynamic between the, the two of two of them. So overall, you like this side of the story, right, Rachel? Yeah, I do. So kind of unpack a bit more for me about like why this uh this works for you here. And would you say that this is a a redeeming factor for knives? Like is this yeah. enough? It's not enough. No. But makes it a middling episode rather than a bad episode, I think. Mm. Okay. It's- if the other side was a TKO fight yeah if the other side was uh parasites taking over the homeless then yeah yeah like we know that it can get a lot worse than this yeah if only if only the other side of the story was king arthur visits the station yeah (laughs) i am arthur son of uther pendragon and king of the britons no man takes Excalibur from me and lives. He's on the other side of the power struggle. You know, I'm not 100% sure if he's only on the outside because he doesn't like the new emperor. He doesn't like the war because he's obviously he's tired of it. Um, but I also got the impression that, like, you know, in the ensuing chaos, someone like Lord Rifa is looking at his family as, oh, they have a lot of established wealth and connections and if i take him out you know that's something to be gained you know the, and, and, the, and pick up the scraps after they're they've been destroyed you know just to gain more power of course you know by the end uh londo's the one who um you know after the duel you know inherited their family and their connection so like you know he essentially um his family's uh power grows as a result of it uh, just not the way that he he wanted to. Yeah. That's true. I, 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 like, I looked at it a bit differently of, like, he openly calls Reefer an assassin. Yes. So I think he's part of a vocal resistance. Mm, they're refusing against, the party line. They're refusing the party line. About against the, the way that Reefer is taking the Empire. Yeah. Yeah. He's the General Hague of the Centauri. Representing the faction fighting back, but didn't fight back as well. Yeah, yeah, breaks. that's a hundred percent how I look at it. As if well. Londo, for, if perhaps Londo was more like Sheridan, collecting conspiracies and working to uh, uh, plan things for the inevitable coup, uh, <laughs> you know, in a safe position, uh, uh, safely tucked away on Babylon Five. But no, unfortunately, he's part of the problem. Yeah. As well. I look at the reefer stuff as it's a real uh, pushing into Londo's face and our face that they are moving pieces around back home, that the shift of yeah, power he is says, happening. I, I, I need to be paying more attention. Yeah, and Londo learns that, oh, I, although I'm powerful because I'm gaining these things and I'm out here and I've got the shadows, I actually should be paying attention to what's going on back on the home world because Reef is uh, uh, consuming a massive amount of power off of my off of my stuff, 
and before I know it, he's going to do exactly what he's done here, where he's going to rock, he's going to burn bridges with these actual good people or allies of mine, and then we eventually see that there is a civil strife and problem between Londo and Reefer that will grow and grow and grow until eventually somebody steps in and goes, you two need to sort out your beef, and then Londo sorts it out real fucking good with Reefer in, in the Rock Hard No Hiding Place. And it is, uh, in terms of the, the world stuff, yeah, that's what it's letting you know is uh, there's civil problems happening back on Centauri Prime, as we've seen with many planets, Earth has civil strife. The Narn have civil strife as well with uh, with Jakar, and we'll see that even explored further when he becomes a religious figure. We see that with the Minbari, of course, and this is our way of seeing it with the Centauri now, where there are people like uh, his dueling buddy who is a somebody who speaks reason. They do not appreciate or accept the way of the world that is being uh, laid down. And then you also have the uh, conflict between Reefer and Londo building up, in which Reefer is just Londo without any morals, and he's hungrier than Londo to get things in motion for himself. And Londo underestimated that. To him... Londo, to Londo, Reefer's just this guy back home that's, he assumes he's good. He, he treated him more like VR than yeah, himself. he treated him as a tool. He assumed, he he assumed that him. he would be, yeah, he assumed that he would be more of a instrument for doing what Londo wants, mm-hmm. uh, not as much on his own. Like, you know, it's, uh, there's a reason that he's turned into a rival re- later on, because they're both essentially trying to be the, the boss. Right? Yeah. And Londo, yeah. I would say, a major character flaw, and we see it here, is he doesn't believe, he doesn't recognize that other people have autonomy and that they can make choices and have beliefs outside of what his are. That I mean, that was obviously the, the main thrust of the coming of shadows, where he didn't even consider that the Emperor would want peace at all, and that the Centauri could be even able to uh, broach that type of subject, because he doesn't believe it. And he and that's him in this episode. He doesn't believe that, uh, that Reefer would have greater ambitions. He doesn't believe that his friend would be upset with how he teamed up with these people and then he's given harsh realities and 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 it results in him having to murder his best friend with a sword yeah i've made many choices lately Veer. and today for the first time i'm not sure those choices were right perhaps some good has come out of this tragedy it's not too late to make some new choices no the blood is already on my hands Right or wrong, I must follow the path to its end. This is great. I think all of this stuff is really great. And then you just have a bunch of bullshit with Sheridan. And that's why I say it's bad. Like on a on a scripting level, on a on a on a balancing level, it just fails. But the actual material with Londo, I love their banter. I love all of the dynamics at play. I loved seeing Reefer on the TV screen being like a lying piece of shit and he lies through a mission like he never mentions that he's the guy that did it and i love all of that i love uh via having to be playful at the beginning and then being his usual worried self uh all of the emotional depths of londo's character and the uh 
actual confrontation of the fact that the Centauri are this imperialist race and that that is in fact bad and not cute and noble and nostalgic. All of that is the 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 real meal here of the episode, and I wish that's just what the episode was. It's like if you watch the, the, the Long Twilight Struggle, which is a couple of episodes away. Could you imagine if that was that episode, but for some reason the A plot was this A plot? It would be really annoying. It would be like, no, you got so much cool stuff happening here on a thematic level and character level and world level, and yet we're going with stock standard sci-fi plot because we're a sci-fi show. Yeah. That's like where I go with it. What was uh, a scene that really struck you, Nick? What was a, a standout moment in this side of the story? Um, I particularly liked, and I think we just said, like, you know, uh, Reefa's lie of omission, uh, and then Londa kind of just walking straight into their conversation saying, don't worry, I've, I've taken care of it. And then him saying, oh, my friend Reefa's taken care of it. And you just see how quickly it turned, you know. Uh, I'm going to take a guess that the actor spotlight is our our boy uh, Urza, uh, because he does a he did a, a great job of just Rifa, you know, you know, like he just took so mad, like he just sees wow, you know, the my 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 chance for uh, help from Londo, uh, or no, Londo's part of it. Yeah, I thought I could trust you, and in fact, you're a part of the reason that everything's fucked and that I'm doomed. Yeah, and then you know he's. Planning to give him his uh, sword from the uh, um, from this great battle, mm. um, the Battle and, of Garrosh. Yeah, yeah. And he's, you know, I've never seen a finer blade. You know, um, you know, you wouldn't be able to get another one like that because, as uh, as they say in surf ninjas, money can't buy knives. No, and brothers don't swim. So. <laughs> <laughs> don't surf yet. Yeah, don't surf. That's right. That's right. We uh, yes, those of my generation do not surf. Uh, yeah, I, one of the scenes that really stood out for me as probably my favorite scene in the episode, and again, this is the complaint that I made about the Sheridan thing, which is the end scene that sums up the whole point. I, uh, this didn't feel as hokey to me as Sheridan standing there in his gorgeous little sweater talking about what he learned today and what the plot was. It's very similar though, and I think that is a complaint where Londo basically explains what happened to the audience through Via, like, well, what happened is through Centauri tradition, that's a little corny, and I think that could have been a little bit smoother, but what I do love is just Londo just has learned something from this, but not enough. That's what is really fascinating about his character is he is a self-reflective and an intelligent character, but he's also extremely ignorant and naive, and he always stops himself. Via speaking logic and reasons and, and, and facts at him, and he just doesn't want to hear it because it is already too late. I have blood on my hands. This is what is going to be the way of the world from now on. But you you feel so much for him in that final sequence. You feel afraid of him and for him. When he says, insanity is a part of the times, you must learn to embrace it. You're seeing the voice of almost a tyrant in that moment. It's somebody who's losing their grip on things, but also in that sequence, he speaks very lyrically and poetically about that what has gone through. That hand is reaching out. Yeah, that hand is reaching out. And these moments here, when he speaks like that, 
It reminds me of in season five when we see when he becomes the full damn Londo and he becomes the emperor and he's got the drac on him, that those horrible things he can say, you know that he doesn't even need to be possessed to say them because he yeah. says this stuff throughout the show. This is a script that he manufactures for himself throughout this. And here it's a self-defense mechanism. It's like, I don't want to, I want to acknowledge that I fucked up, but I don't, don't want to do it too much because... I will, will, I just can't handle that. And it means I actually have to work on things better. And I I don't believe that. I wouldn't be able to live with the guilt if I fully acknowledged it. Yeah. I'm going to warp it to fit what I need. And he doesn't believe in uh, redemption for him, redemption, really, for himself at least, not in this moment. It's like, this is it. This is how it's going to be. We're just going to have to go through it. I am in the dark. I will stay. What about you? What was a, a sequence or a moment for for you that kind of leapt out during all of this stuff, Rachel? Uh, I oh, it's all good. Like, is it when they're drinking Bravari for the first time? They um, mention it and yeah, they're they singing. Do. Um, <laughs> I. I can't go past the first scene with Londo and Via joking and like having that what has to be like an ongoing debate about who the best Centauri opera writer yeah. is and I like that Via wins that argument mm, by the end of it. I think you're convinced that no Via's pretty right on this. Like I just I adore this one little line that Stephen Hurst delivers. Stephen Hurst, yeah. Stephen Hurst. That Stephen Hurst delivers. And he says, oh, well, yeah, you are right. And you do sing it very well, Londo. <laughs> like that that earnestness. It also just adds a layer of depth of like, oh, okay, this, this is right. This is what it's meant to be because obviously it's an alien opera mm. that we've never heard before. I love that the music actually kicks in when they start singing. That's yeah. like a really that's like a thing that Babylon Five doesn't do very often. Mm. That, it's a, it's that extra a gentle, level. yeah, and then it's, sound editing thing and, that and elevates it. Yeah, it swoons up. It almost, oh, it almost sounded Italian as well. Too, yeah, so the, the, the kind of invoked of uh, mm. yeah, they did they did opera. do that. I, one of the things, I mean, this is an old record, you know, we're playing the record over and over again because people know this. You've watched the show, you know this. What can really get you through plots like this, whether it is a well-written one like uh, the Knives, this uh, this part of Knives, or even a bad part of it like with Sheridan, is the charm and strength of the actors. Every actor is giving it their all here. I guess star actor, but Peter Jurisic, as always, is is absolutely embodying the character and delivers the emotional range that you need of him. From the almost childlike whimsy of hearing Via start singing the opera and the joy on his face, you feel it. You you he really warms your soul to the devastating line delivery of him holding his friend in his arms as he's dying and he's just like asks him why did you make me do this why did you make me do this you your heart breaks for him in that moment and it's mainly because of the strength of the actors here because 
we only knew, we've never heard of this friend ever in the entire run of the show. He only exists in this episode. He rarely, if ever, gets mentioned again here. But because of the absolute powerful delivery of the lines and the emotions from Veer, from Urzo, from Londo, these actors, it buys you in for those amount of minutes that we're here watching this. I don't need to have 15 episodes of backstory to make this pay off. I could watch this on its own, and the acting really sells it. And, uh, yeah, that's the thing. Like, uh, the, when they actually do have the sword fight, it's, of course, it's shit. Like, the choreography of it's shit. It's not amazing. It's, like, these two guys just wailing at each other with it's swords. Also, like, like it's, they're it's, old men, so they, it kind of gets a yeah, break a little and, bit. And the swords are shit, and one of them wants to die on purpose, of course, but, like, that doesn't really matter. That's not what the meat of the story is. The heart of it, the moment, is Londo killing his friend and holding him, and why? Why did this happen? Because... You, Londo, fucked up, and this is the way to fix your fuck up. And I have to sac- you know, he has to sacrifice himself to fix Londo's mistakes and his choices. And that is far more important. And the acting really isn't is what glues it all together because if the acting was weaker here the strength of this would fall a little bit more flat because on a script level it's fine. Like it's good, it's decent, but just, uh, uh, you know, Peter Jurisic, we've talked about him lots. He's improved so much since that ga- since the gathering, in which he was the best part of the gathering. But it just to really just praise again that uh, the, the Babylon 5 has a really great ensemble cast that we can just, like, Londo is this absurd character. I always think, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Nick, on if you've had this with people... I'm always curious to hear people's thoughts on when they watch Babylon 5, what they think of Londo, because... He's a choice. Like, he's acting and the accent and the writing. He's like a bold exclamation mark choice that I could see being a very divisive thing for people coming into it. Have you ever experienced that with Londo yourself or with other people when you've shown this show to them or they've tuned into it and they're just like, this Londo guy? What do you? Th- what's that about? What do you think? Yeah, L- Londo always stands out. I mean, uh, and I- I'm always, you know, like, I am impressed, obviously, because I know a lot of them are actors, but at the same time, you're also like, how much are they really changing themselves for the character? Um, you can see um, Andreas Casulis, uh, you know, uh, on Star Trek, and you're like, he's kind, you know, he he's bringing something different, but he's also somewhat still similar, you know. Uh, in comparison, uh, uh, Peter uh, is so much more different as Londo. He bring a lot of character uh, to it when. Uh, you guys have probably seen it as a com- uh, some sort of convention where he comes on stage in the Londo makeup and then partway through switches back to his normal voice and they're taking the makeup off to kind of show who he really is, right? And you can see, like, he's putting a lot of emphasis. He's doing a lot of work to really build the character through his performance. And I think even a, a, some comment or some Q&A, he talked about, like, you know, if he, if he were to try to do it again, he's just like, it takes a lot of energy to bring that character to life he's an energetic character and how he behaves if he's mad or if he's angry or if he's happy or sad he's a very it takes a lot of physical energy just to bring that character and he's like you don't always feel that every day but somebody like Londo you, you need to bring it but it's like on the other side if I think of other actors and characters in the show like you know you do wonder sometimes 
you know, we can make fun of Picard and how much has he changed because he's become Patrick Stewart, not mm. John Picard. And but there's some characters that are like so similar to what the impression you get from the actor. Like, did uh, does Bruce Bosleitner like ghost stories, and that's why they put it in? Does Jerry Doyle find it funny when he mispronounces an immigrant's name and says Gazuntite when mm-hmm. someone says the name right? Like, <laughs> is Mira Falan just Delenn? Yeah, <laughs> is Mira Falan just this graceful, spiritual woman that just everyone falls in love with? Yeah, probably. He's like a cultural um, icon and was exiled, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, because she I get what you're saying there. Yeah. I get what you're yeah, saying so, there, and it's yeah. There's a lot of like. I think Londo's the one that stands out the most as being the one that is a, and a that true actor plays like high energy characters. Uh, people who knew him from Hill Street Blues, he was a very over the top character in that show as as well. And I think we've talked about this on the pod, and you see it here is what makes Londo great is he can dial that down and get real quiet. Like some of the best acting, and you see it in this episode, is when Londo's quiet, when he's not having to say anything, just the expressions on in his on his face and the look in his eye, as well as just a quiet uh, delivery of a line, as well as the loud, brash stuff. It is that pendulum swing from high to low is what really gravitates us towards him. And that, again, goes through the performance here because... It is one of those ones where the actor came in and is like, this is my choice. This is how I'm going to do it. And the writer writes to that. And you can see that like Londo and Jakar are the characters that JMS clearly knows how to write the best for. And so do some guest star writers because... Thank you for acknowledging Thank you. Because they're fun. They're fun. They're very wild, fun characters, and the actors are fun doing those roles. Like, if I was a writer on Babylon 5, of course I'd want to write Peter Jurisic some funny lines, because I know that he would do it in this lyrical way with his voice that would be fun to hear. I just want to keep writing Mr. Morden into his lines of dialogue, because I love the way he says it. Ah, Mr. Morden. You know, that's fun. It's great. You enjoy that. And that comes from the actor, not necessarily from the script sometimes. And to me, look, this this side of the Londo stuff, it is great. I think it, it it's a payoff to all of this stuff and it's furthering his character. But honestly, I enjoy it because I like those characters and I just like seeing all of those actors do the things I like them to do. To see Peter Jurisic be funny and sad as Londo, to see... Via be funny and sad as Via, and even this guest star performer who we will get into in our spotlight section, him being a fellow Centauri guy uh, who also captures the essence of what we've seen of this uh, group of people before, but then also coming in with a completely different avenue with the character. I mean, he does the silly accent as well, but... He also is a character, he has to be very different to ones we've seen and oppose Londo, and that's the meat and the potatoes and all of that, two knives. And I wish that it was enough to truly save it for me, and sometimes it is. At the moment, I'm feeling pretty jazzed about it, but then also I just remember Sheridan hitting baseballs. <laughs> like, is the uh, is the Londo stuff and the character development and the, the backstory about the politics in the Centauri, the Centaurum, or whatever it's called, uh, is that enough to move this, I don't know if you maintain a skippable list, but is this, does that move it out of the skippable list and into the, uh, um, not a must watch, but in a, what's a nice middle ground? I will watch. Yeah, probably should watch. 
does it move into that category because of that alone? It has for me. Because I don't skip episodes because I'm not a I'm not, I'm not a pussy, but I um, <laughs> set you up for that. <laughs> I I don't skip episodes, but there are those moments where it's like if I did skip an episode, it would be this one. Like my brain does that if I go if I didn't have to watch this, yeah. And Knives is always one where I consider it, and then I go, oh no, but the Londo stuff's good, and then I just watch like, it. Oh, how much attention do I need to give this episode? Is mm. probably a more accurate scale to the way that we watch B five because we won't skip an episode, but it's just like, can I watch the oh, we can, watching this episode? Yeah, we can <laughs> whack this one on, and we it doesn't need our undivided attention. Yeah, it's not. Is this one uh, room ambiance and background noise and comfort? Because, hey, I get to hear the narration at the beginning. Or or is this just a really good episode? Yeah, this one just scrapes by. I don't know. It's a, it's a real toughie. Why, Lando? I have a destiny to fulfill. One which will take our people back to a golden age. We are Centauri, Urza. We are meant to conquer, to rule, to build empires. Are we ready to do the spotlight section of the show where we talk about an actor or actress that appeared in an episode of Babylon 5 whether they be big or small we go over what they thought about them in the episode we talk about anything we've seen them in before any interesting pieces of trivia or information we've picked up along the way Rachel uh, oh, and Larry as well uh, who are we talking about for this one who are we delving into we are delving in to the performance of Lundo's dear friend, played by Carmen Agenzia. Okay. Agenzio. Yeah. Who, yeah, that's right. Carmen Agenzio. If, sorry if we mispronounce it. It's just one of those names where it's like, oh, that's a that's one where it's like, oh, I need to look up how this is pronounced. And even then you're like, hey, hey my last name's Lewinsky. I give it a pass, you know, I, I, people don't know how to pronounce my name, I go, okay, that's fine, and I think this guy would have been similar, I was like, what's that, you got it wrong? Uh, okay, or maybe he's not, maybe he's intense, I don't know, maybe he was intense. So he played uh, Londo's dueling buddy who gets stabbed real good. Nick, what have you thought about this performance? Um, you know, I, the only other th- there's only two things that I, I can immediately remember him from. Uh, SG-1, he had a regular reoccurring role um and uh the uh what's i can't remember the name of the group but they did the club dread um the uh um, the comedy there where he's playing this one cop who (laughs) gets brutally murdered but it's kind of just a silly comedy but uh the thing that i i could probably say I, i i might have seen him in something else but uh, but I might not recognize him because even between knowing him in SG one, his performance there, he's just playing just normal you know, American dude. Um, uh, and here he is bringing you know, a little bit more of an accent, more character and stuff like that. Like I almost forget that it's him. Like he doesn't that good of a job. I think. Of also he has hair, and, lots of hair as well. Yes, That's most of the time he does not, but, uh, mm. but yeah, it's just like, it's enough for him to, he's bringing that type of energy. It's not a, um, Lord Rifa almost being like uh, an imi- a bad imitation of what Londo's supposed to be accent-wise. He's his own thing. 
analogous he has Italian. Uh, I love uh, Reefa's background, accent. How so dare it comes you? off How a little bit more. Nuts. I love Reefa's accent. <laughs> Do we? Have you ever? I've never actually tried to find a video of how does he actually sound? Is it like you know, because William know, Forward, Londo, you know, Peter. Yeah, yeah. Peter has a, uh, you know, he's a Brooklyn accent. He's he sounds like a cabbie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't know, know what William Ford sounds like in real life. I hope he sounds like that, where he sounds like a little Dracula, like he he sounds like <laughs> Renfield. Yeah, that's, yeah I love his too. accent because he's trying at least. But yeah, you're saying like this guy, you're used to him playing more your traditional kind of American man dude, and here he's trying to be a little bit more European and alieny. Well, because yeah, so the three things I know from this from SG One, he's just American guy, and then in Club Dread, he's like a Costa Rican police officer investigating murders. You know, uh, and it's uh, you know, so he's playing a little bit of an accent there. So I feel like now he. I think he has a range, maybe the, the limited amount that I that I saw in it. So you know, he's I I think he's great. I think he's a really good actor. I think he's very good here. Uh, he struggles with the accent from time to time. It does drop out sometimes. It's like, does he have one? Oh, yes, he does. When he says Riva. And there are some words that people really latch onto when doing accents. Obviously, we know for Londo, Peter Joseph was Garibaldi, Mister Garibaldi, and uh, his was definitely Reef. That assassin. I think he's very good. I I do think there, and maybe this is coming down to if there was more time spent with them. I I feel a little bit of a lacking chemistry between him and Peter Jurisic. I yeah, you don't get that real feeling of. It's no Walker Smith and Garibaldi. No. <laughs> there isn't that ease between yeah. them that is. It, it, it's palpable when you see old friends together, like this natural and innate ease being around each other. Yeah, there's this one actor in season five who does that, and he's in maybe two scenes with Londo, and it's uh, he plays, I think his character's Lord Jarno, and he's like Londo's dear good friend, and he's telling Londo in season five about all the strange going ons on Centauri Prime with the Regent, and then he gets murdered. And that actor there, he was in like maybe one or two scenes, and I felt the yeah. real connection between you those two. Sometimes you just can't sell it. Yeah, from a, a minimum. Yeah, minimal amount of time. Yeah, like it really comes through in the the body language. Yeah, I think, and it's not as if they don't have any chemistry. It's just, it's just, it's just missing a little bit. Yeah, more. it doesn't have the we've known each other since we were kids, and it makes like that. The lack of that makes the attack at the start feel even more weird. Oh, that's. It's just like. We don't need another fake out, guys. That was dumb. And it's just like, and it's just like, if the chemistry between the actors felt different, Mm. that the experience of seeing that scene would be different. Like you would end up feeling more. The way that Londo does of like, ah, my old friend. Yeah. But instead my face looks much more like Veers of like, what, what the, the fuck? fuck? Yeah, well, Londo's a freak, he has freaky friends. I but well, I, I also I also thought that like his I just double checked. The actors are only seven years apart, but he did feel older in comparison to, to Peter. So it's like, oh, we don't decide it since we're younger. 
he's aged quite a bit more because he's been in a lot more wars and he's tired, you know, like <laughs> even if he, I don't know how you would naturally tie it in, but I did feel like he had a lot more gray hair and stuff like that. Well, but at the, the same time, the I mean, piece. it's always funny to remember that Londo is supposed to be an old man and yet he's played by a Peter Jurisic who is not an old man. Like that's always <laughs> yeah, one of the when little disconnects. When they to try me. to make him look young in the, uh, yeah. um, in the TV movie, yeah. Oh, and flashbacks, like just, when flashbacks, like when you find out why he's on Babylon 5 and they give him like younger He's just look. got like a, his hair, he's just got like his hair's not as tall, but it's just mm. very, very dark and less, black. And there's no like white streak in it. Yeah. I, no, exactly, yeah. I, I, look, I think the actor does, the, the, like that may be lacking, but he delivers on the absolute gravitas and pathos of the tragedy that he's going through. Yeah. The, the, he the shines shame. in his moment. But yeah. the friendship doesn't shine it's as much as it, it could. Lacking. Yeah. It's just a little lacking. It's not as if it's, and a, it's a fail. A, it's just could do a little bit more. Small in comparison to the other stuff. Yeah. Like, but I would care more about his death if he had that with Londo. Why did you make me do this? <laughs> my family, I could not let them share my disgrace. This way, I die with honor, and you will see they are protected. Yes, I promise it. I will guard them as if they were my own. I'm similar to uh, Nick. This guy's got a large catalogue of work. He had a large catalogue of work. Over 200 credits on IMDb. But sadly, a lot of it is unknown to me, or him in it is unknown to me. Uh, SG-1, Stargate, that's where I knew him from. When I watched this, I was like, I know who this is, but it's the wig and the accent were throwing me off. And um, I guess also, uh, here he's a lot more jovial and expressive. Well, in SG-1, like with a lot of their characters, they're a little bit stuffy because they're military people in that well this he's you know he's a rich lord guy who's like sword fighting and drinking and partying so the kind of energy is different but i do remember him in sg1 uh i thought he was very good in that show as were pretty much most people in that show if i'm honest and i would love to revisit sg1 to see his character again as well as many others because i haven't watched sg1 since i was a kid i've never revisited it i've never got dvds and watched it again so I can't tell you too much about what his character was like, but I remembered he was good. I was like, I didn't mind that character. I thought he was all right. And so unfortunately, I can't speak too heavily into his role in that. Rachel, have you seen him in anything in all this catalog of work? Yeah. Was he in Gilmore Girls? (laughs) No, I didn't see Six Feet Under? (laughs) Call the Midwife. Call the Midwife? Was he in Call the Midwife? Was he a nun? (laughs) No. No. Um, I want to throw some ones that I haven't seen, but I just find amusing that he was in. He mm. was in an episode of Chips. Of course, everybody was. Uh, he was in an episode of TJ Hooker. Oh, with Shatner. Mm-hmm. With the Shats. He was another detective. Of course. He was in the A-Team. Oh, yeah. With Reg. Yes. He was in Kojak. Oh, Okay. And he was in, I can't remember, this was a film or a TV film, The Jesus Trip. Uh, Rachel, I can't tell you. I haven't, Where? Got on, I haven't got on that trip, I'm afraid. Haven't gone down the Christ-like road. Yeah, bad Catholic boy. Where he was Pinoli. Oh! I'm going to 
pronounce it like that because I'm assuming that it's Italian and not how I would read it of yes. Pinole. No, Pinole, I imagine. I don't know. I didn't go down the Christ trip. Yeah. Uh, but I have seen him in house. He <sighs> had a reoccurring role. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Was he a doctor? Mm-hmm. Of course he was. Was he an <laughs> arsehole? No, oh. not really. Um, he was around when House did the competition for replacing his interns or fellows mm. uh, around season four. Is that when Olivia Wilde was in the show? Yes. And she's six? Yeah, I was about to ask. Yeah, 13. Right? Or oh, 13, Th- sorry. 13. Fuck. I'm thinking of Prisoner. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, he, he's in it and he's an older gentleman who... He gets kicked out because he's too much like House. Oh, oh, so he is an arsehole. Okay. I remember but, that. Like, no, no, not in that way because he has a similar like a level set. of knowledge to House. Oh. And, th- like, he often, like, just says, yeah, I agree with you, House. Like, this evidence suggests this because <laughs> I know this disease. And House is like, well, I don't need somebody on my team who's – Thinks like me. I need somebody. I want somebody that, who's that was counter. That was peak house. That was peak house. Where every time they were trying to do an assessment, they were always like sarcoidosis, and then they rule it out like right away. Mm. And then I just remember it being weirded out. I mean, it was kind of sad that uh, um, oh, what's his name? There's uh, is it Bernie Mac? He died of sarcoidosis. I'm like, that's that thing mm. they always say on House on MD yeah. that it's never that, but holy crap, it was. So yeah, you could just say that, and you, you're technically as uh, talented as as House in those days. So yeah. in House, okay, interesting. And then there's another two things that mm-hmm. we have both seen: Star Trek that he was in. No, okay. No, I don't think he's in Star Trek. I didn't see any Star Trek. Listed. No, I'm just guessing. Yeah, what was he in? He was in The Godfather too. Oh, what was he? Italian. He's Italian. <laughs> He's a little Italian boy. He was one of Michael's button men. Of course. Okay. okay. That answers that question. Yeah. Okay. And anything, what was the other thing? Columbo. Oh, I was hoping you were going to say Melrose Place, but. Oh, I don't oh that, that is there, fucking... but we haven't seen it. So. <laughs> Who was in Columbo? He wasn't a killer. He mustn't have been a killer. I would remember no. that. No, no. Was he in the original run or the 90s one? No, he was in the 70s. Far out. What was he? Was he a policeman? He was a coroner. Oh, really? What episode? Does it say? Uh, oh. I, I looked this up because I had a feeling you were going to ask about it. He was in Crisis. A top CIA operative commits oh, murder. With Patrick McGowan from Prisoner. <laughs> the way only a brilliant spy can Never guessing he'll have to contend with a man like Lieutenant that's, Columbo. That's the that's about one of the first Patrick McGowan episodes. Oh boy, what a run! Uh, there we go. We're back to prisoner again. So there we go. Good day, number six. Number what? Six. For official purposes, everyone has a number. Yours is number six. I am not a number. I am a person. I want to kind of touch upon something here. Obviously, we have Larry in the room. We've had Larry talk. This is the last Larry Dottilio episode, and I don't want to speculate too much because it is fairly unknown of why Larry and JMS do split at some point, and they they didn't interact for a very long time, is from my understanding. Isn't that correct, Nick? You've talked about this in the past 
in ways. Yeah, my my understanding was that yeah they did have somewhat of a falling out. I think it was seemed like it was driven professionally, unfortunately. Um, and but I think you know he had, after Larry died, he did write some some comments, kind of uh, always saying that he was a great guy and you know the wish that they had had more uh, contact you know in the later years, um, given how much you know they had been. Uh, he talked about in his autobiography about them going, you know, him, JMS quitting a job at a principal and convincing Larry to quit too and come along with him. Mm. And uh, on a couple occasions, like, you know, the fact that Larry was even willing to kind of stick by him. And they, so they were pretty uh, long-term writing partners and stuff like that. I think he, I think he did end up sp- uh, doing his own um, his space ring like yeah uh he you know he tried his own uh his own stuff after ending his time with uh babylon 5 right so i think you know maybe you know they just decided to they want their own things he was busy babylon 5 and i was busy there but i guess the friendship side suffered as a result it's very interesting because we've talked about many times here about how there comes a point where it's just JMS takes over and it does improve. But at the same time, we have enjoyed episodes by Larry Dottilio and some of the other writers, and it is that emphasis on what goes what went like what happened behind the scenes. We can only speculate so much from the little we know in terms of JMS being a showrunner that he seems like he could not be a showrunner at this period in his career. Because all of the writers disappear, and Larry Dottilio, who was like his right hand man, script supervisor for most of the episodes at this point, he goes too. And I don't know what went wrong behind the scenes. I don't want to necessarily speculate, but even here, when we're talking about like ideas Larry had and ideas of this, I nod along going, I could see those in Babylon 5, though. Like, they aren't ideas that are so drastically out of step with what the show could do, but they aren't JMS's ideas. And that's where I wonder what was happening here, because although this isn't a great episode, I am going to miss having Larry and other writers come in from time to time to just deliver something a little bit off the beaten path. But also, I do love season three and four a lot because of that unified and totally unfiltered voice of JMS. I love his writing, of course, and it's some of the great. It's the greatest stuff in even season two. But the diversity of of of, of voices is silenced after this. This is the last episode written by a guest writer until Neil Gaiman in season five. You no longer get a chorus. Yeah, you no longer get a chorus, and I think that's. And, Just and you could certainly, you can certainly say that you know, you know, JMS is you know, uh, burning the candle at both ends for years to, to make that happen, right? Producer and writing and uh, you know, all the hand in every department kind of thing, trying to keep things going. Uh, showrunner, um, you know, that by the time he did get to Crusade, I will continue to bring up Crusade. I don't care. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, he got guest writers. It became much more, you know, uh, trying to collaborate, trying to, to to split up a little bit the work on the writing side, so he didn't have to. And you know, you can say like, yeah, that's where maybe it suffered if if he had been willing and able to to make a more cohesive thing. Maybe well, TNT is what made that one suffer. Huh? No, we know why. Yeah, the reason it ended prematurely before some of the better stories happened 
necessarily that. But and also um, why it's so tonally off all over the place. Yeah, because it's and that's that's I will say that is a bit of a concern of like okay yeah we're, we get if we get a B five reboot, you know, um, does he really work best? As just the showrunner and without writing every episode like is he only really his best when he really is writing a, a cohesive thing he has to write everything to make it work he doesn't have the ability maybe he does now but yeah. you know at least back then has he learned the play ability with to to give enough notes and enough advice so that others can write and it still fits in and it's not somebody like larry or somebody else introducing an idea that contradicts either something he established before or something he wants to do in the future, so then he has to kind of ignore it or work around it. And that's uh, the so... thing about the Larry stuff. I don't really think many, if any, I don't think many of his ideas contradict. I just think they are ideas that JMS is like, I don't want to do that. And it's, yeah, I'm just going to ignore that. And from a creative standpoint, someone like Larry would be like, well, what's the fucking point? Yeah. I'm out of here. Uh, you're wasting time. And I oh, won't be your puppet. One of the great things, well, one of the things to think about with uh, a show like this, whether it's Babylon 5 or Mad Men or, or Sopranos or Star Trek, is there's always changes and evolutions because these things are unpredictable and they're fluid. So this is an end of an era for Babylon 5, just like Michael O'Hare leaving the show was an end of an era, or even uh, when other cast members leave. This is an end of an era for this show, where there are other writers. And you could argue this is when it gets good, just like how people say it gets good in season two, skip season one, which is obviously, I think, a false statement, but I understand the sentiment behind it. And I think you could apply the same one here, where this is the last, one of the last, if not the last episodes written by a guest star writer until season five, when it's just a one-off. And you could argue it gets good. And that's just something to note down that this episode, although generic and mundane, when you think of it from an outside perspective as a meta thing, this is an end of an era and end of a chapter of what this show was at one point. This was a show where he brought along his friends that he respected as people and as fellow writers to play around in his sci-fi universe, and then eventually he just stopped asking them to come around. And we enjoy it in a weird way that he stopped asking them, because season three and season four are some of the best pieces of TV for you know this show. And so it's just... I feel odd about saying it's good that he stopped asking people to write in this show because I also don't think it is because I'm like, he burned himself out and tortured himself, but also just, I feel like it is offhandedly saying people like Larry Dottilio, who has proven himself to be a good writer in this show and in other shows and material, it offhandedly just says they aren't good, which is obviously not true. DC Fontana wrote for this show and she's a, she was a, a legendary writer. It's just something about this show going on yeah, and, just, it, and if you ever you know like go oh I, I wish we had gotten some more Larry episodes I'll just uh, mention that he did write two episodes for Hypernauts the other Doug Netter produced CGI weird show for with the, <laughs> with the gloose the gloose yes oh, that's the, the, it yeah, so that's you know if you're if you're if you're desperate for more, there's technically two more episodes out there of sci-fi, <laughs> and it's got uh, it's got uh, Christopher Frank. He his music. Oh, awesome! 
This is yeah. you hoping that we'll do Hypernauts as a yum yum show. <laughs> if people pay enough money on Patreon, we'll do it as a main feed yum yum show. Same with Crusade. I we hit over to, that hundred mark. I'd hate, we'll I'd hate to destroy your listener numbers that yeah. way. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. They go no, they skyrocket, and we find out the demographic is kids listen because they love kids. Sh- like they love hearing about Hypernauts because all the young young Zoomers love hearing about fucking the Gloose. Wait, wait, where? Where's the, what did he call it, the gloose? It's gone. It's a pity. Roasted gloose is delicious. What would you rate this one, Nick? Yum being bad and yum, or yum yum being good? Uh, unfortunately, only one storyline deserves a yum, so it's just one yum. Yeah. yeah, I'm conflicted. There's lots of good here and lots of bad here, but I am going to land on yum. Yeah. It just doesn't blend together well enough for me to let it get away. What do you think, Rachel? I'm gonna ask Larry. Larry's last. Okay. It's in the name L for last. L A for last. It's a yum for me. Sorry, Larry. Yum. Larry, it's your script, your final one for B5, at least in uh, air date order. Where do you land on this? Yum being bad or yum yum being good? It's It's okay to critique your own work what do you think what do you mean critique (laughs) no i admit it has its faults Mm. if i had my way probably would have been just londo you know but bruce boxleitner insisted on a ghost story (laughs) (laughs) my one regret is that i didn't put walker smith in this episode you know if jms said you know like we have to let sheridan in on the b4 storyline ahead of time yes we've got to let him know that that story happened yeah Mm. he has to be in the know and there has to be a reason for babylon squid I did, shit. I did have one more <laughs> I did have one more quick note I just remember now but it was whenever uh, Sheridan hears from Garibaldi about Babylon 4 mm. he's just like I, I mean he's like well, that was all classified like you know that's why you didn't know about it and I was like there was crew evacuated from that ship like it was classified like, hidden but it was classified like <laughs> he was busy is, is out on the rim. Like, uh, l- 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 is this a Star Trek Discovery? Yeah. Oh, you stole it from my mouth. I was going to say it's like Star Trek Discovery. It's classified. We never talk <laughs> about it again. Yeah. So, Larry, is this your roundabout way of saying that you're going to give this uh, a yum, but it's actually a yum towards uh, JMS? Like a secret fuck you, JMS. You changed my script when it was good. <laughs> You forced no, me to write no. stuff I didn't want to write. You, you? you know, you know when it's JMS's fingerprints on a script, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit more awkward sex yeah. <laughs> stuff, isn't it? Yeah. All right. You go there, but ultimately, still a yum yum from me. Yum yum. <laughs> of course it is. Oh, let's hear what we're going to be talking about next time on Babylon Five. What is happening on Babylon 5 next time, Rachel? On the next Babylon 5. Confessions and Lamentations. Oh, a fun episode. Good. The disease, Drafa. The mortality rate, 100%. Wow. 
While Franklin seeks a cure, Delenn risks her well-being among the race most threatened by the illness. Other station residents make that race a scapegoat. Ooh, people, make sure to tune in for that one. Give that episode a revisit. It is one that has aged in a very fascinating way, to say the least. I am excited to give it a talk. I People, if you've listened to this show before, you know I love depressing episodes. And uh, this is one of, if not the most depressing episodes of Babylon 5. So, Confessions and Lamentations next week or next time on the pod. Nick, it was such a joy, such a pleasure to have you here talking to us about some Babylon 5. Uh, it's always great to have you and your brother on. Any words of wisdom you want to say towards uh, towards our audience or to your brother Nick, um, to your brother Pat listening? Uh, no, I only give bad advice about Crusade and Hypernauts. I don't have anything good to say. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So, Admitting that that is bad, Crusade. Got, he heard it here first. I, I didn't say it was good. I just said it's still worth the watch. It's, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, the wor- it's, it's not worth the watch, people, but okay. Uh, Rachel, where can people find us on the internet? They can find us on those various social medias, such as Facebook, Reddit, TikTok, Tumblr, Twitter. Yeah, all of it under Yum Yum, yum, yum Pod. Pod or Yum Yum Podcast. You can send us an email at yumyumpod at gmail.com. And if you want even more content, some of which that was referred to in this episode, you can head over to our Patreon. Yes, Yum Yum Podcast on Patreon. We are doing lots of content on there. Nick is a part of the Patreon. You can join the Patreon to talk to him on the group Discord that you get to be a part of when you join, as well as uh, leaving comments on posts. We have many things on there. We have our... Uh, low tier show where we give our thoughts on different pieces of media whether it be tv shows movies games podcasts a whole gambit of stuff there from wallace and gromit to doctor who it's all there for you to listen to once a month we watch an x-men movie or one of the fox x-men movies uh and we're just plowing through those and we've been going through those bit by bit and currently we are going through and watching some modern star trek some star trek picard strange new worlds all of that stuff every week we're coming at that with our fresh hot takes and so if you're at all interested Come on over, support us if you have the means to do so. It would be greatly appreciated. And you can email us at yumyumpod at gmail.com with any questions, queries, concerns, or things you'd like to throw our way. Uh, That's all of the plugs. The zone has been plugged up real good. All of that's in the description. Uh, Larry, you're here. The real- you are finally going to release me. The, mm, well, you'll be released when you say... The magic words, which is good eating to you. Larry's gone before I could even say, why didn't you write your car in this episode to say that, Larry? Why didn't you do that, Larry? Well, we will never know. Larry's gone back into the shadow realm. (laughs) In in Larry's defense, he may may not have known this was his last episode. Right. He was playing a long game. He was waiting for, like, the very... Like, he was hoping to write for the final episode of, like, 
season four, and then he then he would have had Jakar say, "Good eating to you." Ah, Mr. Cannibal! Thing.